we have to take the same kind of approach that was taken during World War II, where everybody was asked to pitch into the war effort. Our war effort, I think now, whether people believe it or not, is climate, the climate issues. You know, a week ago, we were over 400 parts per million in regards to carbon in the atmosphere. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Vernice Miller-Travis. Today, we continue our series highlighting the 2016 National Funding and Resources Training Summit to Revitalize Vulnerable Communities that took place last week in Crystal City, Virginia. The summit focused on bringing the necessary investments to vulnerable communities so that they can move from just surviving to thriving. If you want to learn more about the event and access additional resources and information, check out the website at survivingtothrivingsummit.org. Again, that's survivingtothrivingsummit.org. This website will continue to be available as a resource and place to connect. You can find all the episodes from this podcast series there and sign up for email updates. If you haven't listened to the entire series yet, I encourage you to do so. We have had some great conversations with a number of leaders from the summit. Our guest today was also involved in a summit last week. Jose Bravo is the executive director of Just Transition Alliance, an environmental justice organization that has led the advocacy for more than 20 years to transition U.S. businesses from polluting industries to safer industrial processes and transitioning their workers to safer industries and jobs. Welcome, Jose. Thank you, Veronese. So, Jose, can we start by you sharing with our audience what was the catalyst for the creation of the Just Transition Alliance and what is the mission and goal of Just Transition? Yes, the catalyst um, for the Just Transition Alliance came back from a person that, that was a worker inside a plant, a chemical plant, and that person at some point said to himself and then the union, which was the Oil, Chemical, and Atomic Workers Union, that, you know, what they make, what they produce is unsustainable and toxic and should probably not be produced. So they started thinking about a just transition and transitioning out of this unsustainable process, toxic process, that put both workers and communities at risk and wanted to transition into something that would not pose communities and workers at risk. This also came from the energy sector. So folks working in the refineries, folks working in nuclear power plants and, and the such. So you're also involved in the Safer Chemicals for Healthy Families Coalition and California's for a Healthy and Green Economy, also known as CHANGE. What are the goals of these groups and how do they overlap with Just Transition Alliance? Well, those organizations were set up so that we could pass sensible chemical policy 
that moves us away from toxic chemicals to non-toxic alternatives and processes that put both workers and communities out of harm's way. Both organizations, one in California and one national, understand that there is a science that's being developed called green chemistry that moves us towards those goals. So we want to push things like green chemistry so that industries can retool and start formulating things that make sense for us and for the planet. And when you say green chemistry, Jose, what does that mean? What that means is that chemicals can be um, taken apart at the molecular level and made to do the same work, but without toxics being the main ingredient. So that means that solvents can be put in that way, different types of acids, chemicals, refinery chemicals, so that, again, they don't pose a danger to both health and the health of the workers and the communities. And what's really, really in, in interesting is that there's this biomimicry institute that looks at the natural order of things and looks at how spider venom is so effective but doesn't pose a risk. It's used at the moment but then doesn't pose an ongoing risk to the environment. Mimicking those types of things so that chemicals do not pose these dangers. So on October 25th and 26th, Jose, you were in Washington, D.C. to participate in the EPA's 2016 National Training and Resources Summit to revitalize vulnerable communities. Why do you think this national gathering was significant? I think it, it was significant because for the first time we were able to go and talk about what a regional economy looks like, what a safe job should look like, what a a community-driven infrastructure should be looking like. And it's so important to involve the communities in what goes in those communities. So ultimately, you know, we take a model such as, you know, in South Carolina with Project Genesis and such as models of, you know, forward progress and what community-driven infrastructure should look like. The theme of the summit is to revitalize vulnerable communities and moving from thriving to surviving. Are we making measurable progress, you think, Jose, in addressing the environmental and public health challenges facing vulnerable communities? I don't think so. I think that if you take, for instance, this last process of TSCA reform, the Toxic Self-Control Act, it basically was an agreement between legislators and, and industry. It leaves some of our communities primarily us, people of color, and overburdened communities in, in harm's way. It also puts people that consume products coming from other countries in harm's way because it basically gives them a green light to come into the United States and not be checked for things like lead in children's toys and children's wares, pesticides, flame retardants, a bunch of other things. So if you just take that for example, the Tosca reform that has gone on. Was there an avenue for the voice of impacted communities and workers to be a part of that Tosca reform process, or were, were the voice of these folks just minimized in that whole reauthorization process? You know, when we first came together, I think there was a whole understanding from everyone involved that, you know, there were certain 
underserved and overburdened communities that needed to be at the table making those decisions. We did come up with some legacy chemicals to be put on a list so that those legacy chemicals would be looked at first. But ultimately, the way it was put through Congress and the way that it was authorized, it left us um, with our list and and holding the bag by ourselves. So, Jose, having said that, though, you've been a collaborative partner with the Environmental Protection Agency for more than two decades as the agencies sought to respond to the call for environmental justice. And you're serving as a track co-lead for this summit, particularly the Workforce Development and Just Transition track. What message did you bring to the summit to revitalize vulnerable communities from your stakeholder perspective? Well, I wanted to leave a clear example of that we have to start thinking cradle to cradle when we produce things, when we make things, when we use things. And I also brought to the summit the fact that there is a great opportunity. The opportunity right now, right in front of us, is to retool places like Detroit for mass transit, that the government, when it bails out auto companies, should demand that a certain percentage of that bailout go to retooling to make mass transit available and return places like Detroit back to transportation hubs and at the same time help folks in Detroit and help the country bring carbon emission down. All of those things are super important and we have to start thinking about that. We have to take the same kind of approach that was taken during World War II, where everybody was asked to pitch into the war effort. Our war effort, I think now, whether people believe it or not, is climate, the climate issues. You know, a week ago, we were over 400 parts per million in regards to carbon in the atmosphere. So it's very, very hard for us not to pay attention to that. And there is ways that we can move forward and make things better for all of us. So Jose, in your track that you co-led at the summit, Workforce Development and Just Transition, what were you hoping to have accomplished both at the summit and beyond? These are issues that I've seen you work on personally for 25 years. Are we making progress? And, and what, was, what, what do you want to see continue to happen in this arena going forward? I think what would be the best thing to come out of this, looking back and coming out of this summit, is that we do a concerted effort, not just at a government level, but a community level, at a labor level, at a, even a consumer level, that we all focus on a certain issue that would move our concerns forward and at the same time make everyone's environment and health better. And to that end, Jose, could you just say a little bit about the consumer campaign that Just Transition Alliance is helping to lead right now? Yes, the Just Transition Alliance is working through a campaign called the Campaign for Healthier Solutions. And we've taken on the four largest dollar stores, which is Dollar General, Dollar Tree, Family Dollar, and 99 cents only. We are doing it because as industries have targeted communities of color, dollar stores have also targeted communities of color by looking for areas that are predominantly African-American, Latino, or other ethnicities, and at the same time looking for food deserts and looking for industry. 
it's interesting that a lot of dollar stores are in places too where there's heavy industry. And so what we're doing is we tested 164 products. We found products with earrings for children, targeted to children with over 4,000 parts per million of lead. We found pencil pouches. We found a bunch of other materials that had at least 81% of the 164 products that we tested had some one chemical of concern or more. So 81% you said? That's what I said, yes. And wow. it's super important that we understand that Whole Foods ain't going to move to the barrio here. It won't. It won't. There's no supermarkets. There's liquor stores and, and dollar stores. So that's where people go not only to get food, but also to get Halloween and stocking stuffers for Christmas and, and back-to-school materials. But this is also putting us in a position, in an environmental justice position, that many of these chemicals are actually made in our communities. They're put into products in our communities. They're sold back to our communities. And they're also dumped back in our communities. So we get a multifold of impact. While many communities, many white communities primarily, they do have access to dollar stores, but at the same time, they don't have the whole myriad of impact that they pose in environmental justice communities. Finally, Jose, what message would you want to share with our audience about why we should all be working to address the disproportionate impact of pollution and health threats to vulnerable communities and workers? I want to start off by saying one thing. One of the things that we've seen and that people could work on, zoning. A lot of our communities are mixed industrial residential zones where industry can be right next to a daycare center. You could have a million gallons of pesticides right next to a school. So zoning is, is very important and should be a target for us to work on. But ultimately, you know, what we believe in the environmental justice movement is that if our communities are safer, society as a whole in the United States will be safer because we share and we put up with the disproportionate burden. So finally, Jose, we have three lightning round questions. So I'm going to ask you these three questions. The first thing that pops in your head. You ready? Yes. First question. If you could implement one change or pick one leverage point that would lead to safer, more sustainable, and more equitable communities, what would it be? Wow. One lever. <laughs> I think the, the lever would be education. For me, I think that education plays a big role. And chemical engineers are not educated on the health impacts of the chemicals that they produce. And I think that that's a big miss. I think our communities are not educated to the point where we can make good decisions in regards to what we purchase and how we purchase it and how we become more politically viable and engaged. And I also think that education has failed in the sense that here where I live in San Diego, when you look at education in the barrio, in the neighborhood that we represent, we have schools right up next to industries and a lot of environmental triggers so we do have a lot of asthma, a lot of other things, and people and kids miss a lot of days at school. 
And then what one action could our listeners take to help build a more safe, equitable, and sustainable future, you think? I think that one action that the listeners can take is to become more involved in their communities, to start thinking about sourcing things locally in your communities, to make sure that the things that are sourced locally are healthy. Those things are important. Instead of having stuff shipped all over the planet, we should source our things locally and we should prop up community gardens and those types of endeavors in our communities. And then finally, if you, Jose Bravo, and the Just Transition Alliance are successful in the work that you're doing, what will chemical and toxic exposure look like 30 years from now? It would be much less than what it is now. And if there are chemicals that are left in society to uh, pose some threat, everyone would know exactly what kind of threat to health and the environment and would have a chance to act upon it and demand that that threat be taken away. I want to live in that world, Jose. Thank you for joining us, Jose Bravo. We really appreciate you carving out this time. We know that you are a very, very popular and sought after person. And I just thank you for the work that you've done and the leadership that you've shown. Thank you for joining us, Jose. Thank you, Vernice. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to you joining us next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.